You've, you've, you've got there uh, probably in the sermon notes verses 5 through 11, but we're going to go a little further than that this morning. So we'll start with uh, 5 through 11, and nobody tell Lynn that uh, I gave her 5 through 11, but then I ended up going further. That's a, that'll be between you and me, okay? Oh, I've, <laughs> I've got a wagging finger at me. <laughs> Shh. Scripture, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at uh, verses five, uh, 5 through 11 for now. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Well, how many New Year's resolutions are we still got going here? It got quiet, laughter, and that's about it. What's the number one New Year's resolution every, but not everybody, mo, the majority of people make? Number one, get healthy, get healthy lose weight, gonna, gonna do it, you know? And your, your, I'll call them gym rats, your group that's there every day, they hate January. They despise January. Why? Because guys like me are there. And they're trying to go to the weight machine that they use every day. No one ever messes with it. And they got some guy who, who's like, got the, the ropes this way, and he's pulling his whole body. He's not even doing it right, and they've got to wait to watch this patheticness in action. And what do they hope for? February, where all New Year's resolutions go to die. How many gyms are there in the United States in 2018, 2019? 36,000 gyms in the United States. 36,000 gyms in the United States at a growth rate of about 3% a year. We add 3% more gyms every year. How many personal trainers do we have? How many, what's that? We had gyms, Betty. Oh, what about uh, personal trainers? 340,000 personal trainers. I would have been in the 100,000 as well. So you, you got like, Someone do the math. That's a lot of people to a lot of gyms. 340,000. There's a percentage in there somewhere. And how many people have gym memberships in the United States? 60.6 million people in the United States, up from 58 million the year before, have active pay every month gym membership. Those of you that teach Crown and Dave Ramsey should probably bring up gym membership in those classes and say, are you really getting your money's worth? Interesting note, a person who pays by the moment they go to the gym, they only pay when they go, they actually get more value out of it than the person who pays every month. Because the person who pays as they go on average goes two to three times a week. The person that pays every month, even if they actually attend, only show up once a week. Now, how much of a workout are you getting when you go to the gym once a week? 80% of gym memberships go unused within 12 months of their being signed up for, yet month after month, year after year, we do it. Why do we do that? Because becoming a member, becoming a member is easy. Showing up, just being there, that part is easy. Becoming a member is easy. Being an active member, 
That is incredibly difficult. We love the idea of being in shape. We love the idea of being healthy. We love the idea of the possibilities of who we can be. We're even told we're happier when we're in shape and have all those things. But we aren't really willing to do what it takes to get there. It's hard. You have to do things you don't know how to do. You have to do things you're uncomfortable with doing. You have to do things that make you tired. And a lot of times you don't even get to see the results right away. And sometimes the results show up right away, but then they stall and they stop showing up for a while. But if you quit when the results quit, you're in trouble. It takes commitment and it takes discipline. As I've been looking through Philippians chapter 2, that's what I've really been thinking about. We're going to get into it more later in, in the message. But Paul is really talking to a group of people about what it takes to be joyous, what it takes to be happy, but in Philippians 2, he's kind of shifted the conversation away from his love for them and started to talk about practical matters as a pastor to his congregation. And he says, listen guys, you're having some arguments in that church. You're having some disagreements. You're having some areas where, 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 where things are, are budding a little bit. We, we talked a lot about that last week, that Paul doesn't directly address those issues. He doesn't say, this is the person who's right and this is the person who's wrong and here's how you should deal with it. He, does, he doesn't say, well, maybe you should form this group and try and put this together. He doesn't send them to counseling. He simply addresses it by ignoring the symptoms and getting to the heart of the matter. And how he does that is he says, guys, you can agree that God has done incredible things for you. You can agree that God has had great patience with you. You can agree that God has shown you love. You can agree that God has given you power. So instead of focusing on the things you don't agree on, how about if we start by focusing on the things we do agree on, and that is Christ and Him crucified. That's His power in our lives. And Paul says, once you start with that foundation, then when you come together, come together in humility and grace. Come together thinking more about what I can do for you and less about what you can do for me. And Paul really challenges in that area and that says that you as a church, when you come together, you should be living a life of humility toward one another. Imagine every time you and I came across one another that I want to know what you're doing. I want to know how you're doing. And that I really want to know. And that you're doing the same for me. Imagine if we're serving in ministry together and my goal isn't to get my thing out of the ministry and your goal isn't to get your thing out of the ministry, but your, our goal is to serve one another as we work towards that goal. Years ago, when, when we first started, I made the very incredibly wrong statement that uh, to somebody, and I made it rather flippantly, that Carla and I couldn't do ministry together. And I just felt like she has her way, I have her, my way, we should probably be doing these things separately. And I made it sort of as a joke. I think how, how, how just incredibly stupid that was of me. Sorry, kids who are below sixth grade, I said the S word, stupid. But it was. How selfish it was of me. Because what I was really saying, without saying, is Carla can't get on board with the plan that I've got. And therefore, Carla and I can't do ministry together. But as we've had the opportunity and the blessing to serve together, it's been incredible. I've learned that I begin with the end in mind. I begin future state vision, and I have to work my way back to where we are. Carla is gifted in that she can just grab something right where it is, and she can start to march towards it, and somehow she ends up right where she's supposed to be. I have no idea how she does that. That's incredible. And so I'm always speaking in terms of give me the end, and she's like, give me the right now. And between the two of us, I've got this other future state thing. She's got the right now. We can keep going towards it. 
and in the areas of raising kids. You know, um, I, somehow with Haley, I, I got the, she got the impression at one point that I was the heavy. She has no idea. So I think there was so, one time you told her to ask me for money. She, she was like, Dad will never give that money. And Carla's laughing because she knows that she wouldn't have given the money, but I'm a, I'm a pushover in that category. So I really loved it. But we've been praying on Saturdays for Haley together. And it's such a wonderful time because we're not praying that my will in Haley's life be done. Carla's not praying that her will in Haley's life be done. We have some discussions, and we even find ways that we're out of alignment. But in neither time are we trying to be right, because there's this one person that we love genuinely so. And we unite together around this idea that we know that Haley's this wonderful woman of God, who as, as she's maturing, we're having to learn as mom and dad how our roles change. So if I say that I can't do ministry with Carla, what does that say for my relationship with Haley? What does that say for my relationship with the Lord? And so Paul is challenging in this first part with this church, and he's saying that to this church. He's saying, guys, if you're saying that you two can't get along on the uh, Sunday school ministry committee, whatever, because you think it has to be this way and I think it has to be that way, how much are you really listening to the other person's heart? How much are you really caring about them as much as you're caring about that goal. The church spends a lot of time focused on outward things, making the program work, making the event work, making sure the outreach goes off without a hitch. And there can be times where we run right over the top of each other on the way towards that goal. And some of us, if you're like me and, and a driver, you sort of justify it in your head as, but we are going towards this thing God wants us to do. That's the funny thing about God is that so many times when he wants to do something in our heart and something in our lives, he makes it more about the relationships we have with one another before we make it about how we can serve him. Jesus had those 12 disciples together for a long time before he set them out on their own, didn't he? Those guys had to learn how to live with each other. And I mean, they, these were not Radisson, Hyatt, Hilton accommodations where each person got their own room. You knew who snored. You knew who didn't brushed their teeth properly after a meal. You knew who ate like a pig or took too much when there wasn't enough. You knew all these things about each other. But you also knew when that person was stumbling over their words, you knew what they meant to say because you knew their heart, you knew they loved the Lord, and they knew they loved to serve. You knew when that person got really angry about you something, it wasn't so much about you as it was about you've hit something in their life that's important to them. And so Paul is challenging this church in the first path, and this is all last week's sermon, sorry, this idea that you guys, before you go out there and start ministering to the, the city of Philippi, before you go around and try and figure out what the leadership structure needs to look like and all this other thing, you guys need to look at yourselves first and say, let's love each other and let's love each other well. Can you imagine what the church, the big church across the United States of America would look like if every time we came into contact with each other, we wanted to know how the other person was doing. And we wanted to know where we could be praying for that person. And we wanted to know how we could come alongside them and help them. That would be transformational. It's hard to imagine, and yet Paul is saying that is exactly what he wants. Paul says, when I see you and when I tell people about you, you have to know I'm your biggest fan. And when I see, you, when I, when I see others and you're not here, I'm still your biggest fan. Who has you in your personal life as a member of their fan club? That's what he's challenging us to do. Now, is this some sort of team-building exercise where I'm going to have you all get around the table and you know, have a talking stick? 
Or maybe we'll do trust falls. Malone's, you want to start? No. We try and compartmentalize and put this all together, but Paul says, I want you to have a model of what this looks like. Because if you're going to go to the gym and you're going to get healthy, you're going to need a personal trainer. And you're not going to want a personal trainer that looks like this. This is not a good idea for a personal trainer. The guy who pronounces it gaim instead of gym, you don't want him. No. You don't want to know what that guy's doing. Guy who thinks free weights ought to just be giveaways, you know? Wrong guy. You want a guy who not only have they, have, have they, do they know all the terminology, and I do this in interviews all the time, and if you've ever interviewed people, you want to know they truly know what they're talking about. You want to be able to look into their life and say, man, this is a person I can follow. And Paul says, I can think of no better uh, role model for this, no better personal trainer in this than Jesus. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want you to choose a life of prioritizing the people around you. And I'm calling you to this, not because it's easy, and I'm not calling you to this even because the other person has earned the honor of it. I'm calling you to this because when you and I were at the point where we weren't easy to be with, and where we hadn't earned this honor, and we weren't worthy, Christ Jesus still came there and made you a priority in his life. So how did he do that? Verse 6, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God... We could do an entire sermon on being the very nature of God. We think of Jesus and we think about a man born 2,000 years ago who was born in a stable and at age 33 started this, or in his 30s started this incredible ministry that led to the transformation of the world. But Paul says, Jesus, who came here to serve you, and we'll get to that in a minute, who made you a priority in his life, I want you to know who he is. And so all back throughout history, when you see in the Bible something moving, understand Jesus was there. Remember John 1. John 1. And, and you could replace the word, because we say, in the beginning was the word. Paul's saying, replace the word word with Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus wasn't somebody that was created for the, for the purpose of coming down 2,000 years ago. Jesus is somebody who has always been. He's been in heaven. He's been in glory. He was there when the earth was formed. He was there formulating the plan that would eventually lead to him coming to this earth. All throughout the New Testament, you see moments where the Bible is talking about Jesus without overtly calling him that. And then John opens up verse 1 and says, I want you to understand who this man was and is. Jesus has always been. Being in the very nature of God. That means that in the very core of who he is, his very essence, he's God. Not 99 and 44, 100 percent for those of you over 40 but 100% God. Every aspect of his being, God. But what does he do with that? With all of his power and with all of his might, 
He says, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Other scriptures say something to be grasped, yet rather made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in himself the appearance of a man. He humbled himself, being obedient, even to death on a cross. Jesus had all this power. Jesus had all this might. He was in paradise. He'd been there from the beginning. And with all of that, when he came to earth, how much of his godness did he lose? Anyone know? Guess? How much did he lose, Vince? You know this. <laughs> You're going to say zero. Thank you. <laughs> First rule, don't ever call out with a question that you don't already know the answer to. Zero. He was still God. In the manger, still God. Mom taking care of him, still God. Twelve years old, gets lost. What's he know? say? I'm not lost. You weren't sure where to find me, but you know now anytime you're going to look for me, I'm at dad's house. Still God. First miracle, water to wine, still God. Let's himself be arrested, still God. Dies the most horrible death known to man, still God. There's never a moment in the history of time and space and beyond that that Jesus wasn't God. But he said, at least as far as I'm concerned, at least as far as my life matters, I'm going to put it all off to the side. Remember when they, the, uh, the person said, I'll follow you anywhere? He's like, you don't know what you ask. So we, we, other people have places to live. The fox knows where he's going home tonight. I'm going to find a rock somewhere in the middle of the desert if that's where we ended up at, at the end of the service today. If somebody puts us up, they put us up. If they don't, they don't. If we raise enough money to eat, we eat. If we don't, we don't. But Jesus, you could take, and you could take two fishes and five loaves. But did Jesus do that miracle for himself? No. He did that because the crowd was hungry. Jesus still has the power of God, the power that he has, but he uses that power to, for the benefit of other people. And so when he comes across a woman at a well whose man uh, chooser is broken and who has other problems in his life, Jesus speaks into her heart and into her life and starts to speak to her about things that are going on. And when this uh, bunch of hypocrites pull out a woman and they say she was the one caught in adultery, I don't know how there's only one person caught in adultery, that's hard math, uh, but she was the only one there, Jesus uses his defined power just to discern it and say, I'll tell you what, any of you guys that doesn't have any sin in your life, any of you guys that doesn't also be, deserve to be standing there with her, pick up that stone and throw it. That's Jesus using his divine power so that he can give it to other people. In the garden, when they went to take Jesus, there's this moment of bravado and people are drawing swords. What does Jesus say? He says, put those swords away. Don't you know that all I have to do is ask my father and 70,000 angels would descend on this place and lift me up and I'd be out of here. He's letting them know, I have the ability, if I wanted to, to use my power for my needs, my goals, my ambitions. And instead, I'm submitting myself to my Father's plan. I'm submitting myself to my Father's way. Jesus even disconnected himself from the Father to be in human form, and not fully disconnected, but disconnected in what he had in heaven. Because you see that where he has to go off to the side and pray. He has to have these moments where he's conversing with God. He has to have these, these, these pieces of separation 
that weren't like they were before. And so Paul is saying, if you want a model of how I'm supposed to treat Dennis, or I'm supposed to treat Ben, or I'm supposed to treat Carla or Hayden or whoever, I need to look at the guy who had all the power and the authority and said, how do I take all of that and use it for Carla and Hayden and Ben and Dennis? Paul says, if you want a model for what this looks like, you need to be, look to Jesus. One last point on that. God shows up to save humanity. This is kind of a side point to it. But he doesn't show up where we, where we expect him. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. You see, if I were putting the plan together for the salvation of humanity, a couple of things might happen. Number one, I'd probably be looking to Rome. Jesus should be a Caesar, right? That's where you should expect to find him. That'd, that'd be a good plan. Maybe king of the Jews. Maybe raise him up, put him, in, put, him in, uh, put, put him in the temple in Jerusalem. Raise him up, let people know this is the man who has the power. This is the guy. This is the one that you're, you're going to need to see. And all of that would be actually in full line with Philippi and Roman government and everything else. You lift yourself up in those times. You never put yourself down. Now, how would I assemble my group of guys? It would be the people that I think are necessary. I was talking to someone about this the other day in that we live in a world now where technology is so great, we can cancel the pastor search committee tomorrow and we could put a big screen right here and we could find a, serve, a pastor every week. Do you like, uh, you know, um, um, I, I'm thinking of names I know, Bill Hybels this week, he'll be up there this week. Oh, do we have any, you know, uh, 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 Charles Stanley. Thank you, Charles Stanley. There we go, Charles Stanley's next week. You got any others? We could, we could have a survey each week to decide which pastor has a sermon series we like, and we could put it up there. And I guarantee you every person up there would be a better communicator than I am. And I'm okay with that. Why don't we do that? Because God didn't call this race to be an efficient race. God didn't call this race to say, see how many, get the least number of people on board with serving each other as you can, and that's what we're going to do. Well, then what will those least people do? Well, they'll serve other people. Well, but we don't have enough because we didn't bring them in because we didn't ask them to serve. And when they came in, we told them, no, you sit down and you watch me because I have the power and authority. And so Jesus didn't do that. He came up as an itinerant pastor, basically, a traveling preacher, raising up his 12 guys. Then he took those 12 guys and he trained them up and he spent three years with them, really teaching them how to live life together. And it was a long time in the ministry before he sent them out on their own to do their thing. And over and over and over again. But what it had at the foundation of that ministry was that passion that said, I am here to serve you and you and you and you're here to serve me and me and me. And the more we do that, God will give the increase. God will focus on all of that. And so what happened to Jesus in verses 9 through 11? It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that, every, that is above every name, that at that name every, of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and under, on earth and under the earth every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. It says Jesus emptied himself of all of his rights to take care of himself. 
Jesus emptied himself of all of his rights to be the person that everybody's looking up to. And every moment on this earth, he served others, and he went out of his way over and over again to serve others and to serve the Father in heaven. And God exalted him as a result of that. God lifted him up to the highest place. And you know what I love about this? Jesus is still serving us at that highest place. He's still uh, uh, mediating on behalf of us with the Father. He's still sitting on the throne sharing as people come to heaven of what's going on. Jesus didn't abdicate his need to serve because he's now been exalted to this highest place. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess and he will love each and every one of them. I love that about this verse. And so Paul started that section in, in, in 2 talking about the frustration they had. He talked about the need that they needed to serve each other. He said, Jesus is your example. That is your coach. That's your personal trainer on how to do it. And then he says, so here's what I want to have happen. I see, that's a good leader, Paul. He's like, here's what I'm seeing. Here's how you need to change your actions. Here's a model to follow. And here is what I want to have happen. And he does that in verse 12. And this is the part we're not telling Lynn about because I didn't tell her about this in the, in the things. <laughs> Verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his purpose. Paul says, now that we've had this great lesson, now that you know what this looks like, I want to tell you, you are good people. You have always obeyed. You obey when I'm here and you obey when I'm not here. I always tell Carla I was a good kid. She never believes me, and I think it's the stories I tell that tell her I'm not a good kid. Um, one of those stories was how good we were because my mom always said that when she went to work and my oldest sister was in charge, we were to come home from school and we were to be in the house. And every day, I kid you without fail, mom would come and we were locked out of the house. Now, we tried. We tried to stay in, but the tree would call our name Friends would come over, things would happen, we'd be goofing off, and at some point, somebody would shut the door, that door would be locked, and my mom would be like, just once, I want you guys to act the way you're supposed to when I'm not here, not just when I'm here. And then I mumbled, I'm not sure we act right when you're here, and I got in a lot of trouble for that. But it's that idea that mom wanted us to be who we were going to be, whether she was there or not. Paul says to the church of Philippi, I love you guys. You really are that way. You've sent, you've sent one of your workers to me to help me out. He's been sharing me how things are going. You guys are who you are, and I love that about you. And I want it to be a priority in your life that you're the same whether Paul is here or whether Paul is not. And so he says, not only that you've obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. With, work out the salvation with fear and trembling. This verse sometimes gets misunderstood. People say, well, wait a second, I thought salvation came from God. I thought I was saved by grace, a sinner saved by grace. What do I have to work at? Why do I have to work at my salvation? Is this works-based salvation? Does anybody here go to the gym? Anyone here? You, Dennis, I know he goes. You run on the treadmill, right? Elliptical. I don't even know the terms. My apologies, sir. I'm demoting you to that. What are you working out in the elliptical? What do you, no, what are you working out? What, what muscle groups? What body groups? Just fat burning. Just, just burning fat, okay. A little bit of cardio in there somehow? 
are you making a set of lungs? Are you creating from scratch a set of lungs that didn't exist before? Are you creating a heart that didn't exist before? No. When you're working something out, you're working out something that is already there. You're stretching that muscle. You're pulling it forward. You're getting it to the point where it's stronger than it was before. And Paul's saying, listen, guys, you guys have had some problems with arguments. It's getting a little flabby in that church. You got time to argue. There's some flabbiness going on there. There's a little bit of my own pride coming in. My grandpa said that one time. My sister and I got in a fight. The next day, I was cleaning the side of the pool for like three hours. I never fought with my sister in front of my grandpa again. But it's that idea that you, you, you need to keep working on the things that are important to stay healthy. Dennis is at the gym because Dennis likes to be healthy. And Paul is saying, if you want to have a healthy life, then you need to work your, out your salvation. The other thing people make this thing do is they sort of make it put, this is me working out my salvation. So I will sit here and read my Bible. I will spend enough time in prayer. What are you doing? I'm working out my salvation. With fear and trembling, yes, I'm reading the Old Testament. That'll give you fear and trembling, you know. I'm going to go out and serve in a ministry and come back, and that's it. But remember, Paul is writing to the entire church at Philippi. And he is saying, guys, your life together with one another, that's your workout. That's the opportunity you have to stretch in all the areas that God wants you to have. You should be seeing peace love and harmony in the spirit in your lives and in the, peop and the people around you. Rather than fighting with each other, Paul commands the Philippians and us to work out our salvation by encouraging each other to grow in humility and unity. And how do you say that? Fear and trembling. You take it seriously. Last night we had, what did we have, 90 people? Sherilyn would know the exact number. 110 people come out for, for a teen night banquet. 110 people. How, how many volunteers? Anybody have an idea, roughly? 15, 20 volunteers? So 10% of the people here were making it work for 90% of the people that were here. They were serving. But the only way that worked was if we were serving one another. I went back and Lois, and I, I thanked her, and I said, you know, Lois, you've, you've got the most interesting personality. I heard you desired, you volunteered to wash dishes. And you didn't do it begrudgingly, begrudgingly. You said, this is where I serve. And she looked at me very seriously. And she says, you know, I bet more good conversation and fellowship happens back here than is going to happen out there. Amen. You want to really get to know somebody? Stand on the drying end of the, the, the dishwashing business. Because all you've got time to do is talk and talk about ministry and everything else. That's serving one another in humility. Aaron, Lynette... AJ, Jeff, others got up here, and we heard incredible testimonies. And we heard, and, and we, we heard Jeff's heart for what's going on in the lives of the faith of, of teens. And we heard stories of old of, of teens who've gone on to, to uh, continue to serve the Lord 20, 30 years later. Those are hearts of people that are working together. You think about all the people that come together to make that happen. That's a service of unity. And then there was times last night Night was getting a little long when some tensions were getting, you know, there were people who wanted to still goof around and party, and there were other people who just wanted to get work done and go home. We had to learn to work together like that, didn't we? Lest we kill one another. Because that's okay. That's living life together. That's stretching those people that goof off all the time that there's some time to get to work, and that's stretching the people who are like, this has got to go like this, has got to go like this, has got to go like this, to remember all of these people are serving and loving and going and going. Uh, just this morning, I, I, uh, 
I uh, went over and I complimented this entire group and how well they did, and two of them thanked me, and one of them said, you didn't stand up. I said, excuse me? We called for the board members to stand up, and you didn't stand up, and I'm calling you out for it. I told you it'd be a sermon illustration. (laughs) But we know we're we're ribbing each other, right? Why was it so focused on, why did I have to stand? Why did that matter to the ministry? I'm kidding. But it's that idea that we, we could, and it's been talked about, we could cater this event. We could host it at a restaurant. We could all come and sit down together and just wait for it to be done. We could purchase order cheap baskets for people to bid on. We could do a lot of things. We could even bring in a ringer of a speaker who's going to come in and guarantee the money's going to happen. And the whole thing would fall apart. Because I can't grow in that. You can't grow in that. We can't serve in that. Vince, I loved, uh, I always forget his name, the Reverend uh, from Gales. I was here last night. Yeah, McGowan, McGowan there you go. Yeah, he, was, he was excited to see you because you served each other Monday. You saw each other at the breakfast Monday. You were serving together in unity. And Paul says that's where the workout is. If you want to really be a happy Christian, if you want to really be a true believer, work out your salvation with one another. And folks, Attending church once a week, and if I never pour my life into other believers, that's like having a gym membership. That has nothing to do with going to the gym. You have everything at your disposal to be a happy and healthy believer, but you have to make the commitment to one another because that is where God says the workout happens. You say, well, that's a tall order. How will I have the strength? How will I have the will to look out for you before I look out for me? Paul says, that's, I got that covered too. Just keep reading on to verse 13. It's God who, works, who is at work with you both to, to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who is at work. God is working before you and I are working. And it's God's will he's working in. And he's working for your growth, for your pleasure. The, the, the closest thing I, I have this is when you're teaching a kid to ride a bike, what are you doing? You're running alongside of them. And they're going, I'm riding, I'm riding. You're like, yeah, yeah, sure you are. Dad's going to need a minute, you know. Or when a kid wants to learn how to swim and you're in the water with them trying to teach them how to swim and you're drowning. And they're like, I'm swimming, I'm swimming. That's what's going on with God. God's already out there swimming, doing it, and he's pulling you alongside him. And yes, your energy is there, but when your energy is not, that's when the roots dig down deeper. When you see that you're more grumbling and complaining... When you see that you have more attitude about what's going on, that's when you need to dig those roots down deeper into God and say, God, what do you want to teach me? I've had more than once in situations where on a Thursday or Friday, something horrible has happened and I've been angry about it. And then I do what I don't want to do. I take two or three days and I pray about it before I respond. And it's a very different response three days later than it was in that moment. Because that's what God is doing in my heart. Incidentally, that term grumbling and complaining and that idea of the group that he's with, do you know where that comes from? That's the uh, Israelites in the wilderness. These people, if they map it out, were somewhere between 90 days and somewhere between 90 days and six months from the promised land. They took a 40-year journey to get to their destination because they wouldn't stop griping about it. The food's no good. This is no good. We need a better God. We need a better leader. We need a better this. We need a be- if we only had this, that would really make a difference. And they'd get it. And God would say, that bought you another generation in the wilderness. 
if they would have only worked together and if they would have only believed, they would have reached it so much sooner. And so Paul says, don't do that. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't have all that, that, that tearing you apart. So what is the result of this? And I'm closing with, with this. This is 15 through 18. Uh, I'm sorry, this is uh, six, 16 through. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky, and you will hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is saying, when you do all this, when you become a community like this, your light will shine. We've talked a couple of times uh, here recently, and Andy's brought it up, about how the modern church has made a big emphasis on evangelism first. And we say the discipleship will happen, but evangelism first. And Paul is saying, you've got the cart before the horse. Serve one another. Be loving towards one another. When people get around you, make them a little sick with how much you just care about one another. Because when they're like that, they're going, there is something different there. I've got to see what's going on in that place. I've got to see what's going on at a place that shows up to watch Brian uh, race cars. Uh, both when he's winning and times when he wasn't. But we won't talk about that because he's winning right now. I want to show up to a place that uh, uh, I introduced uh, um, Vince to one of the kids last night, and poor kid didn't know he was talking to a coach. He started bragging about football, and Vince just picked it apart. He's like, you got to do this, 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 and this. What grade are you in? Yep. Okay, I'm going to look at you at East High next year because he wants to serve him. But we come out and we serve one another. We're with one another. We're, we're, we're involved in each other's lives. That light will shine bright enough. And Paul says, I want you guys for bragging rights. I want to tell people how awesome you are. And so quit the grumbling, quit the complaining. Quit focusing on your own self, even when it comes to ministry, and start focusing on one another. Let's pray.